A scripture reading today is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. So for four Sundays and then also during the week in our community groups, we're going to be looking at some passages from the Bible that will help us to explore our church's new mission statement. And the reason we have a new mission statement is not because there was something wrong with the old one. It's not because we're going to launch off into some crazy new direction as a church. It's nothing like that. It's simply that uh, a few years ago, the elders of ACC began to sense that to a certain extent as a congregation, we were just starting to lose our focus on our purpose as a church. So we decided to revisit our mission statement and to restate our sense of purpose with the hope that this would serve um, the various ministries of our church and just help us to remember why God has this church in this place at this time. And so after months, hours and hours of prayer and discussion and study and conversation with other leaders in the church, we've restated our mission as a congregation um, to say this, ACC exists to glorify God. A story community church exists to glorify God by learning of God by living in Christ, and by loving God and our neighbors. That's our, that's our new statement. And today what I want to do is I just I want to focus on the very first phrase in that statement, that, that our church exists to glorify God. In other words, today, today I want to talk about glory, all right? And I want to do it in two ways. First, I, I'd like to talk about the glory that God gives to His church, right? The glory God gives His church, and then secondly, the glory that the church is to give back to God. All right, so to begin, God gives His church glory. The passage we just heard is from 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter that the apostle Peter wrote to persecuted Christians in the first century. And in this section of, of this letter, the, the apostle is explaining to his readers what a church is. So, 
what is a church? Now, I, I think that a common perception is that a, a, a church is a voluntary association of like-minded individuals who have joined together because they share a common interest. In other words, to put that crassly, the common view is a church is a club, all right? Listen, if like, let's say you're into flowers, you join a gardening club. If you're into soccer, you follow a football club. If you enjoy reading, you join a book club. And if you're into Jesus, what do you do? You join a church, right? A church is a, it's, that's all it is. That's the common thought. The church is a club for Jesus people, right? And the apostle here, he says, no, no. He says, the church is so much more than that. Now, now, remember I said, Peter, he's writing to persecuted Christians. So he's, he's writing this letter. It's, it's actually a, it's sort of a circular letter addressed to various places. He was writing to these little clusters of men and women in the first century who were trusting in Jesus. These tiny little communities of faith. Most of them, most of them were poor. Many of them were slaves. They were scorned by their neighbors. They were, they, were, they, were, uh, they were ridiculed by their culture. He's writing to these people, and he says to them, do you know who you are? Do you realize who you are? You're not a little Jesus club. He, he, verse 9, he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. He says, you are God's special possession. Now, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, it might be that when you hear those words, you get goosebumps. You start to tremble because, listen, in the Old Testament, those are the words that precede glory. P Peter here, he's echoing, he's echoing some words that you find in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, the people of Israel, they've, they've, uh, they've been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. They've passed through the Red Sea. They've walked across the sands of the desert. And they finally arrived at, at Mount Sinai. And the Lord says to, his, to Israel through Moses, the Lord says the same words, basically, that Peter is echoing here. The Lord, the Lord says to, to Israel, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the, all the nations, you will be my special possession, and you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and you will be a holy nation. And then shortly after God says those words, glory. You know the story when the glory of the Lord descended on Mount Sinai. Those were the words that were spoken right before it happened. It says in Exodus 19:18, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because Yahweh descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Right after this description of Israel's given, the glory of God appears. So here's what's going on in this passage. The the words that Peter uses to describe the church are essentially the same words that the Lord used to address Israel when? Right before his glory appeared in their midst. So I think what Peter's doing here, he's just showing these early, these early believers, he's showing us that the one place in the world where the glory of God appears it's no longer Sinai. 
It's, it's no longer the, the nation of, of, of Israel. The one place in the world where the glory of God is demonstrated is the church. These, these little clusters of first century persecuted believers scattered through the Roman Empire. P- Peter says, you're the new Sinai. You're the new Sinai community. The glory of God appears in your midst. And it's the same in the world today. All, oh, listen, all over the world today, little communities of Christians are gathering, some in stately old cathedrals, some in storefronts, some, some perhaps under trees in, in, uh, in remote areas of the world, throughout the world gathering. And this is now the Sinai community. This is where the glory appears. God gives his glory to the church. Now you see that same idea expressed in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5, Peter says, as you come to him, he's talking about Jesus, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, he says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Or you could translate that, you're being built into a temple of the, of the spirit. So Peter here, he's now in these verses, he's saying that not only is the church the new Sinai. He's saying that the church is now the temple. It's the church is the temple where God's spirit resides. And I hope you know he's, Peter was not talking about a church building. Did you know that for the first 300 years of the Christian movement, there were no church buildings? He's not talking about a building. He's, he's talking about the church as a community, as a, as a body of believers. He's saying you, plural, all of you, like living stones, are being built into a temple. Now, some of you might know this story. Do you know the story when King Solomon built the temple in, in the Old Testament? What, what happened after Solomon built the temple? Remember, you, you know, Tina, he built this, he builds this elaborate structure, he dedicates it to the Lord, they offer these sacrifices, he stands up to pray, and then what happens? Again, boom, glory falls. First Chronicles 7 says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of Yahweh filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of Yahweh filled it. When they, all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of Yahweh above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped, right? They worshipped God. So that in, in the Old Testament, the temple was the place, again, just like Sinai, The temple was the place where the glory of God came. And and now Peter is saying, the temple now is the church. Communities of faith, men and women, boys and girls, who call on the name of Jesus. This is now, this is now the place where glory comes. Now, you might find that hard to believe. (laughs) I grew up in church. I never seen anything like that, right? It's, it's, It's easy for all of us. Um, it's easy to be kind of dismissive of what God is doing in His church because churches are never perfect, right? Churches are always filled with broken people like me, like you. Churches uh, churches usually have at least some degree of hypocrisy taking place. They often have, you know, large amounts of inefficiency 
There never seems to be enough resources. It's easy. You know, compared to other things happening in the world, churches can just feel kind of irrelevant and very uncool, right? But never be dismissive of what God is doing in His church. Did you know, listen, the Bible says that in the eyes of God, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church, 1 Timothy 3, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The the church, Ephesians 4 says, the church is the dearly loved bride of Jesus Christ. Acts 20 says, the church is the flock of God, sheep purchased with his own blood. Ephesians 1.23 says, the church is the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. 1 Corinthians 6.23, does this blow your mind? says that one day the angels will be judged by the church. What does that mean? Revelation 3.21 says that one day Christ, the, the church will sit with Christ on his throne and rule with him for eternity. From the perspective of God, he looks upon imperfect communities of broken people like us who gather in the name of Jesus and he says that's where I pour out my glory that's where my glory falls that's the new Sinai that's the new temple God gives his glory to his church that's my first point my second point is that the church is to take all that glory and give it back to God. I mean, just give all the glory back to Him. If you look at ver- verse 5, um, I, have a, I have a sister who is a, she is a high school English writing teacher, and if she were grading Peter, she'd probably pull out her red pen and say, you are mixing metaphors, and then take some points off, right? Peter wouldn't care what my sister would say. He doesn't ma- worry about that. But at look at verse 5. He mixes his metaphors, doesn't he? He says here, not only are we living stones that are being built together into the temple where the glory falls, he says, but we are also the priests in that temple who offer the glory back, who offer spiritual sacrifices to God. So we are, isn't that weird? We are both the temple and the priests, right? As the the temple, we receive glory from God. The glory comes down into the temple. But as priests, we offer the glory back to God. We we offer sacrifices to Him. It says, verse 5, we are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God gives His glory to us as the temple, and then we give the glory right back as the priests. Now, a a good question to ask is, what what in the world are these spiritual sacrifices? What are the sacrifices that we offer to God? They are not atoning sacrifices. We're not supposed to somehow do something hard or pay something precious to pay off God for, for our sins. You don't have, listen, isn't it wonderful that we don't have to do that? Jesus is already the atoning sacrifice. He has paid the full price for our salvation on the Christ. So what are the, what are the sacrifices that Christians offer back to God? Here, Peter does not explain, but there are other places in the New Testament where we're, we, these things are explained to us. For example, Romans 12 verse 1 says that we are to offer our bodies 
as living sacrifices to God. In other words, we live for God's glory. Philippians 4 verse 18 says that when we give our financial gifts to the work of the Lord, it says that these, these, the gifts of our finances are acceptable sacrifices pleasing to the Lord. So we, we live for the glory of God, we give for the glory of God, and then Hebrews 13 verse 15 says that we are to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. So we, we live for God's glory, we give for God's glory, and church, we worship for God's glory. One Christian author named Mike Chastain, he wrote this. He said, God, God is great. Would you agree with that? God is great, and worship is our response to His greatness. The church's primary purpose is to ensure that God receives the glory He desires and deserves. That is why the saints gather together to corporately rehearse the greatness of God in worship. The focus of the church should be the worship of God. So you see, God shares His glory with us. Isn't that something, that He would do that? And then we, in response, through our lives, through our giving, through our worship, we give all the glory back to Him. Now, you'll notice in verse 9, it says the whole reason that God called us out of darkness into His wonderful light was why. It says so that we would declare His praises. The whole reason He saved us so that we would join the, the choir of worshipers throughout the world, throughout time, and give praise back to God. And I wonder if you'd agree that for the Christian, that's really not hard to do, is it? I mean, it's, it shouldn't be hard for us to want to praise Christ because we know, we know, don't we? We understand that all the glory, all the goodness, all the kindness God gives to us, it's not, it's not something we deserve, is it? I mean, look at, look at verse 4 and 5 with me. Let, let me ask a question. How in, the, how in the world did you and I become living stones in the Lord's temple? How did... How did how did we ever accomplish that? Did we, did we work really hard to attain that status? Did we study the Bible and devote hours to prayer? Is that how I got to be a living stone in the temple of God? Is that how you did? Or, or did we reform our ways and train ourselves to be good people? No. Listen, all we did, all we did, we just came to Jesus. That's, look what it says, verse, verse 4. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, as you come to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. All, listen, all we did, we just came to Jesus, right? That's, that's it. And listen, Peter would say, even coming to Jesus, it wasn't even our idea. Verse, verse 9 says we were called. Verse 8 says we were chosen. Verse 10 says we received mercy. So in other words, who gets all the credit for the fact that we came to Jesus? Who gets all the glory for that? God does. So I, I would just say kind of as an aside, if, today, if you're here today or you're listening on, online and you're just feeling like you're really far away from God, I think you should be very encouraged by this. Because listen, to be numbered among those who are, are the, the community of God's people where His glory appears, all you must do is just come to Jesus. That's it. Come to Him. So, for the Christian, you don't really have to twist our arms to make us want to worship Jesus, do you? I mean, 
after all he's done for us, after all he's given us, and, 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 he, and he did it at the cost of his own blood, he died for us? I mean, let, let's imagine, I mean, just imagine, all right, imagine that you were in one of the towers on September 11, and um, a New York City firefighter or a New York City police officer sacrificed his or her life to rescue you. Would we have to twist our arm to get you to honor that person's memory? No. We, we, we wouldn't be able to keep you away from, from ground zero. Every 9-11, you'd be there. I want to honor them. She died for me. She died for me. You wouldn't, we couldn't stop you from singing their praises. And that's, listen, isn't that the way it is with the Christian when we remember? Oh, my God has poured out his infinite glory on us, and it's all because of grace through the one who died for us. You, you're telling me? You have to somehow motivate me to sing his praise. We would want to worship him. He gave, isn't it something? The God of glory gave his glory to us. And now we get to give it back to him. So our church, not just our church, every church, everywhere, we exist to glorify God. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, I want to ask for us at uh, ACC that you would give us, give us a glimpse of who we are through your eyes. Give us a glimpse of our, our church through your eyes. Help us to see that we exist as a place and as a people where you pour out your glory for the one purpose of just knowing the incredible joy of giving that glory back. And we ask this in such a way that, that uh, as others watch us respond to your grace, they would hunger for your grace as well. In Christ's name, amen.